It's Wired, the Pistons podcast, presented by Chief. Here's your host, Matt Derry. All right, everybody, let's do this. It is another week of Pistons basketball talk right here on Wired, the Pistons podcast. My name is Matt Derry, and we are brought to you by Jeep. Thanks for that very fun and cool introduction, Mr. John Mason. Pistons back at it. The All-Star break is done and complete. Blake Griffin had a, a nice effort in the All-Star game playing for uh, Team Giannis, which lost to Team LeBron. And now the focus and the sights are set on playoffs. And if the Pistons can get there with 26 regular season games left, it all starts this weekend with a back-to-back Friday at the time of this recording in Atlanta against the Hawks and then Saturday night in Miami against the Heat. The Pistons currently sit in the eighth spot in the Eastern Conference, a half game behind Charlotte for seven, two games back of Brooklyn for six, and the Pistons hold a half game edge over Orlando, which is 27-32, and Miami, which is 26-31. and uh, The Heat have dropped seven of their last ten, uh, including a Thursday night defeat. Um, so now that you look at it and, and you kind of peel everything back, and we're going to talk to Tom Byrne, Sirius XM NBA radio host, who's on each and every night uh, on the, the NBA radio channel. If you hopefully get that, Sirius channel 207, XM channel 86. You'll hear Tom almost every night on that NBA radio channel. He's very close with Rick Mahorn, too. Those two guys have done a bunch of shows together. We'll talk to Tom in a second. But as Tom sort of points out to me, as he and I chat all the time, uh, you know, there's that race with five teams, basically. Uh, Brooklyn, Charlotte, the Pistons, Orlando, and Miami for those last three spots. We know that Milwaukee's getting to the playoffs. They're the one seed. We know Toronto's really good. Indiana, Philly, Boston. Uh, those teams are so head and shoulders above everybody else in the East, but it's that second wave of teams with the Pistons, the Nets, the Hornets, the Magic, and the Heat that will kind of decipher and sift through uh, when you look at if the Pistons can get into the playoffs. And I truly believe that this basketball team has played better as of late. Uh, they went into the All-Star game, uh, winners of six of their last ten. Um, you know, Andre Drummond talked about going 5-2 and two in that seven-game stretch before the All-Star break, and that's exactly what the Pistons did. And what was sort of disappointing about the Wednesday game before the break, which seems like months ago, was the loss in Boston where the Celtics didn't have Kyrie Irving nor uh, Terry Rozier, and the Pistons lost that game. But try, and, try being that road team on the Wednesday before All-Star break where guys are, are, you know, worried more about where they're going for break and everything else. And so now... Two back-to-back winnable games against the Heat, uh, I should say the Hawks and the Heat, uh, before the team comes back home on Monday night. And, you know, you you look at this situation and you look at the schedule uh, and you look at where the Pistons are, they've decided they want to go for it and have said that they want to be a playoff team. And now sort of the proof has to be in the pudding. The Pistons have to start playing better and playing with the consistency. Andre Drummond has stepped his game up as of late. He's played much better. All right? Reggie Jackson has to do the same thing. Blake Griffin hopefully got a little bit of rest over All-Star over the All-Star break and over the, the days that he was done in Charlotte and, and now back in, in Detroit. Um, you need Blake for the stretch run. And, you know, Hawks, uh, Friday night, 7.30. Heat, Saturday night, 7.30. And then Monday back home for Indiana before going back on the road to play, um, you know, San Antonio. Uh, uh, they got to go to, uh, the Pistons have to go uh, to Cleveland. There's some winnable games on this schedule, big time. Home and home with the Bulls coming up next month, winnable. Hosting Minnesota, winnable. Playing the Heat again in March, winnable. 
So it's time to start winning some games and getting a little bit more uh, consistent play out of everybody. And I'm excited to see now a longer version of Thon Maker where he'll get more of an opportunity now that he's acclimated to the Dwayne Casey system and Svee Mackay Luke as well. Uh, that's something that I'm looking for uh, big time as this stretch starts the last uh, 26 games before we can maybe even talk about a postseason berth and some bonus basketball um, in this town. All right, our guest this week on Wired, the Pistons podcast. I listen to this guy all the time on Sirius XM NBA radio. I don't think anybody watches more NBA games than Tom Byrne, who is the host of the postgame show each and every night on Sirius XM NBA radio and gives us a couple minutes now, right now. What's up, Tommy? Matt, my man, I'm doing well. Much better than the Pistons. How you feeling? <laughs> what, a, what a shot. Wow, an early shot. Early shot on the, on the podcast. Hey, Tom, they're, they're in the playoffs if the season ended today. Come on now. You know who they remind me of? The Philadelphia 76ers, the town I'm in, prior to the hinky process. You know, a team that wasn't bad. They had some decent players. They didn't have anybody in the level of Blake Griffin, but they did have Drew Holiday. They did have Thaddeus Young. They did have Andre Iguodala. But they seemed mired in mediocrity. Like, they were on the high end of purgatory, if you will. You know, one year they got a little injury luck go their way as an eight seed. The one seed of Bulls lost Derrick Rose game one. Joe Akiko at game four. They advanced, pushed Boston to a seventh game. But it was fool's gold. Eventually, they tried to get Andrew Bynum in that Dwight Howard deal. That deal worked out for nobody except Orlando. That team hasn't won a deal since, but that's a different story. So Philly needed to make major moves. And I'm not saying the Pistons should or will go down that road. But they remind me of a solid team, but a team that, realistically speaking, does not have high enough a ceiling to appease the fan base. So let's let's get into it, Tom. Uh, you know, as we record this podcast, second half is going to start on Friday night for the Pistons in Atlanta, and then in Miami. They are currently sitting in that eighth spot, like we talked about. They're a half game back of seven and two back of of six. And I, I said, even though, you know, hey, I'm on. You know, this is this is rolling on Pistons.com and everything else. But I don't think the Pistons are as good as Brooklyn. But I do think they're going to get in based on. There's that group of five teams for three spots. Brooklyn, Charlotte, Detroit, Orlando, and Miami. Washington's done. How do you view that 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 sort of second five in the East? Yeah, I think the Pistons are squarely in that mix. Obviously, Miami, similar to Detroit, you know, solid teams that might be around 500 before all is said and done. Both struggling somewhat right now. Miami moved to five under with a loss last night. Detroit at four under. But I think both get in. And then there's the Charlotte Hornets, who love to lose close games, but they do have Kemba Walker. They did not go after Gasol before the break. That could have potentially been a difference maker in terms of making the playoffs for them. But Brooklyn's been a great story. They lost last night, but they're five under. Brooklyn's getting in at this point. So Charlotte, Detroit, and Miami, I think, are next up. Don't forget about Orlando. In fairness, they've won five in a row. I remember they were excited when I did their training camp tour, Matt. And you get to see that now. They might have a decent future after all. Jonathan Isaac is somebody to keep an eye on. He's long. He's just growing into his body. He's gangly, a little Ingram-like in that respect. But he still has a high ceiling. We know Aaron Gordon could play. Nick Vucevic has been unreal. Now, Bob is out. He had been a net and negative player for them anyway. I still think he has a relatively bright future, but Orlando is going to be in that mix right now. Is Detroit just as good as Miami? Are they better than Orlando? Absolutely. It's on them because Drummond and Griffin should be enough to put them at, I would guess, a seven seed, meaning they'll get to two. Right now, that'd be Toronto. I mentioned this in the open, Tom. You watch every game every night and are on are on a Sirius XM every night uh, talking on the post-game show, which I love because it's for NBA fans. Once those last games hit, uh, you hit the airwaves and take phone calls. In, in watching this Pistons team like you have, 
Uh, you know, first of all, I, I guess the Blake Griffin factor. How, how, how stunned are you at this sort of turnaround that he's had this season? Yeah, I'm pretty stunned. It's different, right? Because in L.A., it was a lot of fun to watch. Lot City and everything else. He's not doing it with explosive ability, athletically speaking. He's doing it by being smarter than most on the floor. And he's doing it because of the time he put in working on his craft. Obviously, on the low block, he's as good as ever. His footwork's outstanding. He knows how to bully guys without being called for the offensive foul. Not easy in today's game. Plus, he can step out on the perimeter and knock down the three so he can space the floor some. So he has been outstanding. They're too reliant on him, though. Obviously, they need to alleviate some pressure. Andre Drummond is great on the glass. He's really good on the boards. But outside of that, he's not going to do much for you. And the question is, beyond those two, what happens? Some nights, the rest of the team let Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond go off, right? And that's all they need. Other nights, the team as a whole plays well. And that's when Pistons fans are expiring. And then, or inspired, pardon me. And then other nights, they play down to the level of their opponent. You know, Griffin has to put on the cape late. Drummond seems to be coasting somewhat. And those are the nights you're reminded you're in purgatory. Because overall, that's where this team is, man. I don't need to tell you that. You're aware of that. It's the toughest place to be in the NBA. You'd almost prefer to be one of those bottom feeder teams. Because you could potentially get that guy who saved your franchise in the draft. Whereas the Pistons are now constantly going to be drafting between, you know, 16 and 20. And you're not likely to get that guy there. Plus, you look at the financial responsibilities moving forward. And Blake Griffin's contract. And Andre Drummond. Now, Reggie Jackson's deal is not terrible. And this is where I need to ask you a question. Yes. If you're the general manager of this team, okay, and you know you got Blake only in year two, you know what Drummond's going to be commanding moving forward. How do you supplement this roster properly, making wise decisions? Who could you flip for young talent? Where do you go in the draft? What would you do? Because, again, if they're stuck in purgatory, let's figure out a way to get them out. What well, does Matt Derry do? I'll say this, Tom. Uh, you know, I like the moves that Ed Stefanski made at the deadline. Reggie Bullock wasn't coming back. Uh, Stanley Johnson wasn't coming back. So getting something for those two guys, maybe a Svi Mikhailuk turns out to be this dead-eye shooter that they've needed and, and can be a guy that Luke Kennard hasn't been in terms of consistency from the perimeter. And Thon Maker, I mean, <clears throat> you know, it obviously didn't work in Milwaukee, but so much upside, like so much him. talent. You, and you do yeah. like him? I do. I like that move a lot. I'm with you there. I was going to bring that up. I think Thon Maker is somebody that the Bucks may have given up on too quickly. It wasn't that long ago when they took him 10, they were trying to sell the world that this kid was going to be a big force, but he needed time. Well, they didn't give him time. So I like that risk for the Pistons. And you know I like Stefanski. He's a filmy guy who was doing terrestrial radio when he was the GM in Philadelphia. I think he knows what he's doing. It'll be interesting to see the direction they go because I think they're going to become even more desperate. And you know this, Matt, to put butts in the seats. So that doesn't allow them to go through a full-blown rebuild. But trying to build from the middle is not the easiest thing either. So the question then is, how do you put butts in the well, seats and, in Detroit? Right, and that's the thing is – you know, I, I've been here long enough to know and see this. Even going back to when Joe Dumars ran the team and the team wasn't very good, the Pistons just could never, ever have any luck in the lottery. The one year they did was the year they stole that pick from the Grizzlies and took Darko. So yep. other than that, every year that it's like, oh, can the Pistons just get a, a bouncing bounce of that lottery ball one time? 
but it could it didn't happen. So they also had very 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 poor drafting going back to Monroe, Brandon Knight, uh, obviously the whole the whole Luke Kennard thing over Donovan Mitchell and and uh, Stanley over Devin Booker. Those are killers, killers. That's what really hurt them. I'm glad you brought up the draft because let's go through this. Let's have some fun, okay? Darko in 2003. All right, they didn't have a first-round pick in 04. 05, they take Jason Maxiel at 26. All right, you're at 26. You're not going to get a star. They actually got Amir Johnson in the second round. That's a pretty good pick. But number one in 07 was Rodney Stuckey at 15. No, a follow at 27. Okay, next year, 08, DJ White at 29. Now, it's the 29th pick. I'm not going to pound. Next year, 09, they get the 15th pick, Austin Day. Strike out. Next pick, 2010. You're not really doing this, are you? <laughs> Greg Monroe from Georgetown. Wow. Next pick, Brandon Knight from Kentucky at eight. Eh. Next year, all right, Andre Drummond at nine. You can live with that. Here's the problem. Chris Middleton in the second round. He's no longer with the team. Correct. 2013, Catavius Caldwell Pope at eight. Nope, no longer with the team anyway. Next year, Spencer Dinwiddie in the second round. Excellent pick. Problem is they gave up one. I'm no longer with the team. 2015, number eight overall, they take Stanley Johnson. He's a major disappointment, if you ask me. Next year, Henry Ellenson is he even in the league anymore. He, they just, year, uh, yeah, they, they, they just, they just got rid of Henry Ellenson, and uh, yeah. <clears throat> he signed with the signed with the Knicks. Yeah, Luke Kennard. The next year out of Duke, we know what's going on there. And of course, last year you give them a little break; they didn't have a first round pick. But you get the idea. They have not done a good job in the draft, and that's the lifeblood of any organization. Unless you're a Laker team that's situated in L.A. with all that history, you're not likely going to be a target for free agents, especially in Motown. No offense. We know that. Even the Boston Celtics, until they got Hayward and Horford, never got the free agents, though. So keep in mind, you can still have success. you got to do it through trades and drafting. They haven't had a good enough front office. Let's see if that's the fans. can change that. Tom Byrne with me, host of the uh, SiriusXM NBA Radio postgame show each and every night uh, on SiriusXM. You can hear Tom as well on the point after, Saturday and Sunday evenings. Uh, the guy's everywhere. Uh, you're, you're right about the draft. I think that that's a, a no-brainer. I think the discussion here, though, Tom, has been, you know, if if they had decided before the deadline to sell everybody and then tank, tank, and then get Zion. But again, that's, you know, to me, Zion's the number one pick, but then there's a big drop-off between one and two, right? Yeah, arguably, although some would say there's not much of one because his teammate R.J. Barrett could be that good and his game aim is going to be really effective in the NBA. But here's the bottom line, too, when it comes to tanking. It's a league that has incentivized tanking. It's funny. I said when I was doing the Philly shows that I would trade 10 years of being the worst team for the best. Little did I know they'd literally try to do that, right? Yeah. Sam Hickey went in that direction, <laughs> and I actually backed it, and I put my money where my mouth was when they were winning 10 games. People were like, you're nuts. People no longer think I'm nuts, as they now have the number one attendance in the world. You probably can guess I don't have a hard time getting rid of those contracts if I need to. So, I'm sorry, contracts, pardon me, I'm talking like a GM. Those tickets, if I need to, they go very well in the market nowadays. It worked, but it's not going to be as easy anymore. Because now, remember, you only get a 14% chance at best to land the number one pick. So all this needs to be considered if they were going full tank. Again, though, I don't think they're going to do that. Because they're concerned about putting butts in the seats. At some point, you've got to show that people care in your town. I'm not saying they'd ever entertain moving the Pistons in the near future, but it has been a blight on the league for some time. I think we could all admit that. And looking at it, and Ed Stefanski has kind of uh, echoed the sentiments of the owner, Tom Gorris, that, they, that they, they're trying to win, they want to win, especially with the payroll that they have. It may come down to this time. It may come down to the Pistons for the 8 or 7 seed. It may come down to just Reggie Jackson and his ability, and he's played better as of late, but 
you know, for the money they're paying him, it may just be on Reggie to get them into the playoffs, or if they get bounced uh, out of it, uh, it may be because of him not, you know, not playing a consistent brand of basketball. Do you agree? Yeah, I do. And I'm not a big Reggie Jackson fan, so that worries me. You know, defensively, they're not bad. I think they're 10th in defensive rating. <laughs> Offensively, they struggle, so they do need Reggie. Reggie could become a me-first guy at times. Other times, he shows you some growth and starts to move the basketball a little bit. Yeah, to me, Reggie Jackson's an average basketball player, so if he's the guy you're relying upon, that could be problematic moving forward. If Stanley Johnson could step up, if Luke Kennard could pick up his game, I do like Ish Smith. I think he's been underrated despite the fact he's been kicked around the league a little bit. They've got to find a rhythm offensively, man. And Reggie Jackson, you're right, is going to have to be the catalyst there. Do I trust him to do it? No. Dwayne Casey, what do you think of the hire and what he's done with this basketball team so far this year? I like Casey. I think he's a good coach. Obviously got a raw deal in Toronto. He's done a decent job at Detroit. I just don't know what the ceiling for this organization is. I mean, if they bring in Brad Stevens, do they have a couple more wins? Sure. But sometimes I think we get a little carried away with NBA head coaches in terms of how important they are as compared to other sports. Like, look at the NFL head coach, right? Obviously, the NFL head coach is much more important. He has a hand in every single play. The NBA head coach at times is relegated to being ego manager, babysitter. Now, you're also extremely important at the same time. Please don't misunderstand me. But you're as good as your talent says you'll be. And Phil Jackson never had Michael Jordan. Phil Jackson never had Scottie Pippen. Kobe Bryant, Shaquille O'Neal, he might never be Phil Jackson. Greg Popovich should hit his knees every night. He came in the same year Tim Duncan did, who was coachable. If not, Greg Popovich wouldn't be such a big name. Dwayne Casey can coach. I didn't love every move he made in the postseason last year, especially when he kept the Rosen on the bench the entire fourth quarter. He at least have to put him in late to be a decoy. But Casey's not going to be the problem for the Detroit Pistons. What about I mentioned before about Brooklyn being at six right now, and it's it's a really cool story because they lost Karis Levert. Uh, you know, Dinwiddie's even been out, and yet here they are sitting at thirty and thirty. Yet it's just a two game lead over Detroit. Some will say, and and, and I've, I've talked to some Pistons fans that say, "Hey, Matt, if we can get to six somehow and play Indiana in the first round and avoid Toronto and Milwaukee, we got a shot." I I know Oladipo's out, but that's that Pacer team the way they play, they're tough. The Pacers are going to fall to five, but they are absolutely better than the Nets. I like the Nets story. Don't get me wrong. Kind of weird. The first year they actually owned their pick. They're decent, so the pick won't be any good. But, you know, they've shown growth. And Kenny Atkinson deserves a lot of credit. Sean Marks, too, in the front office. D'Angelo Russell looks really good. Magic Johnson dealt his best kids. I mean, he's done a lousy job at L.A. Dinwiddie has shown you a lot of heart and a clutch bone late in games. Karis LeVert. Once he gets a little bit more comfortable coming off the injury, he's going to help them big time. You could argue he's the best player. Jared Allen has shown some signs. But to your point, we all poo-poo the Indiana Pacers, Sands Depot, and I'm guilty just like everybody else because all they do is win no matter what. They're still 18-over. They're still in front of Philly. They're still in front of Boston. But that I do expect them to fall below Philly and Boston, get ousted by whoever they end up playing in that round. Brooklyn's going to have to go after uh, you know, a Philly or Boston team that has much more talent. Maybe they can win a game three at home, but I don't see them really pushing out the team, quite frankly. If you're the Pistons and you're eight, are you rooting to play Milwaukee or are you rooting to play Toronto? And I, I, again, I, I don't, I'm not one to sit here and tell you that I think the Pistons are going to pull some one eight upset or two seven up to upset. But if they were to get in, and I think they're going to, uh, who would yeah. they? Who would they want to avoid? Who do you like best in the East? I liked Toronto coming in. But, man, it's impossible not to be impressed 
with Milwaukee. I mean, they have the number one net rating by a long shot. They have a better net rating than a lot of historically great teams. I mean, Giannis Antetokounmpo is scary good, man. There's no question in my mind he's taking the mantle from LeBron James when LeBron James hands it off. He is that good. He does not have a top 25 player with him, but he's got perfect fits with him. And Nico Miritich was a scary perfect fit because now when Giannis drives the lane and he's impossible to stay in front of any of six and 11 so he can shoot over you anytime if you do double him now he has four guys capable of shooting the three ball and they can all knock it down that's going to be interesting in the offseason to see what they elect to do with Chris Middleton somebody's going to throw a max contract at him they're going to match and I don't think he's worth that but we'll get to that another time for now I'm done discounting what Milwaukee's done I thought they were a pretty good lock to be over their win total before the year but nobody envisioned this I would say Milwaukee would be the team I'd look to avoid and believe it or not I think I'd rather go up against Kawhi Leonard and company considering Toronto not Kawhi necessarily or even Gasol but some of the other guys in that team and their catalyst Kyle Lowry have struggled in big moments we all know that Tom Byrne, the host of SiriusXM NBA Radio's postgame show each and every night. Uh, check him out. Matt Derry with you. This is Wired, the Pistons podcast brought to you by Jeep. We mentioned before about Thon Maker. I wanted to have you expound on that point a little bit. Those are the kind of moves, right, Tom, that these GMs that are, that are like you said, stuck in the middle have to make. Uh, those are the kind of moves that Joe Dumars made to kind of pry guys away, you know, trading for Rip Hamilton when people th- thought he was a bust out of UConn, uh, signing Chauncey Billups. It's not like, you know, to sit here and, and bank on a Zion coming or, or a big free agent coming to, to a market like this. Those are the kind of under-the-radar moves that Ed Stefanski has to do, right? Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, why not? He's young. You had to give this guy time. Nobody said when he was picked number 10 overall in the draft a couple of years back that he would be really good by year three. Nobody said that. You knew it was a long-term project. I get he's averaging under five points. I get he's under, I think, three rebounds a game in under 12 minutes. But he'll get an opportunity for playing time. He's 21. He's so long. He can run. I think you can teach this kid to be a really effective rim runner and rim protector. You know what I see when I see Don Maker potentially if things work out? Maybe a Clint Capella type of guy. You live with Clint Capella, would you know? Oh, absolutely, of course. Talk about improvement. Yeah. Right. I could see him going in that sort of direction. Nothing's guaranteed, but that was a good point. To your point earlier in the show, if you're Ed Stefanski and you are mired in mediocrity and somewhat stuck in the middle and you are a little limited in terms of flexibility financially, these are the type of guys you need to take a look at. What do the Patriots always do? Robert Kraft's in the news now for the wrong reasons. But what do they always do? <laughs> right. They go out Hidden gems. guys who other teams gave up on, right? Still young with some promise, who might not have worked out where they were. And then they make them more comfortable and make them who they were supposed to be. That is now on Dwayne Casey and his coaching staff to squeeze that rock, to get all the juice possible out of it and see what the ceiling truly is for this kid and give him a chance in the limelight. Who wins the West, by the way, in your mind? Oh, the Warriors. The Warriors, of course. No question, huh? Nah, no doubt. I, I hate saying it, too. I, I can't stand it. I hope Kevin Durant leaves. It annoys me. I always root against greatness. I'm wired differently than most of the millennials. And I'm not a millennial. I'm somewhere in between. I'm 38. But, you know, it seems to be the trend now where guys root for whoever is dominant, right? Tiger Woods, for example. I rooted with a passion against Tiger. Everybody loves Michael now. I rooted with a passion against Michael. I'm rooting with a passion against the Warriors. I want to see the wealth spread out. You know, I like my sports 
socialistically. I like my society to be capitalistic, by the way. But, you know, spread the wealth when it comes to sports, Matt. We need salary caps. We need salary floors. We need more parity. The NBA is never going to have parity. But typically, at least we have three, four, five teams you can make an argument for. I'm still at the stage where I can only make an argument for one. But, but but I think you'll admit, in talking NBA every night like you do, that the league is, is in a healthy place. I mean, obviously, sure. sometimes the talk turns to off the court a lot more than on the court. I mean, the LeBron yeah. and Anthony Davis stuff, what the other night with Kyrie and, and, and Kevin Durant and then Kyrie going off about what you think we saw. But that, that, that soap opera stuff selling, man, that it's, it's healthy for the sport. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Look. Baseball still has about $10 billion in revenue. Baseball does not get discussed on the national radio scene nearly as much as the NBA. Take my word for it over Mad Dog Sports Radio. Christopher Mad Dog Russo, the namesake of the channel, laments about it all the time. He hates that fact, and he'll never admit it, but he knows it deep down in his heart. The NBA is just more popular now. Now, ratings are down. I think that's in large part due to the fact that LeBron's out west. The guys can't stay up late on the East Coast, but clicks are up all across America. People are reading about it the next day. They're more into what is going on off the floor, what could happen in the offseason. I mean, you could argue right now it's the playoffs, then NBA free agency, then maybe the NBA trade deadline, and then maybe the NBA regular season, which isn't great. I still prefer the games myself, but I do get caught up into where Kevin Durant might go, LeBron, where he might go when he's up to be a free agent, not anymore, but in the past, of course, and some of the other big names. Think about Boston. They need the win to appease Kyrie, or he might walk. If he stays, they could get AD. Think about Toronto. They need the win to appease Kawhi, or he's probably going to walk. Think about Philly. They need the win to appease Tobias Harris, and most especially Jimmy Butler, where they could potentially walk. So, obviously, you're right. The drama around this league has separated from baseball, which does not do a good enough job of marketing its stars. No, and the highest-paid player in the game now uh, from the other day, you know, and I think Dan Patrick said it best the other night about Manny Machado, is that is that an appointment viewing? Am I going to sit down and, you know, if we're going to spend $30 million on somebody, it's got to be somebody I want to see, and that, that Manny Machado might not be that yet with the NBA. You know, here, here in Detroit, anytime a Golden State comes to town or a Boston with Kyrie or whomever, when Philly's here and Embiid and Drummond get into it, it's definitely entertaining. Yeah, no doubt. And think about the contrast there. You know, you can't really pay. Whether you love him or hate him, you can't pay LeBron too much. I mean, one man can make such an impact in the NBA, more so than any star in any of the sport, maybe with the exception of the goaltender in hockey. Even the quarterback is one of 22 starters and can't get a defensive stop. LeBron James can. So baseball is the last sport, if you think about it. That should be giving out 10 and 300 because Mike Trout's been mired in mediocrity forever. But then again, you know, listen, there's no salary cap. There is still $10 billion in revenue, so these guys are getting what the market says they should get, but it just seems strange when they can't have nearly the impact an NBA superstar can, and they could make twice as much. Mm, it's crazy. All right, I know you'll be glued uh, to, to the Pistons and Hawks Friday night, Tom. We, we're adopting you. <laughs> no, you we... know that's going to be appointment viewing. I'm sure that's where I'll be. Forget about San Antonio, Toronto. Stop. The Marta Rosen in Toronto. That could be interesting. Utah, Oklahoma City, nah. Denver, Dallas. Forget about it. You're watching. You're watching. But, but just so. admit, just admit. I know you watch. You watch them all. You're. Uh, I don't know anybody like I said in the open. Don't know anybody that watches as much NBA as you do. So that's awesome. Every single game. 48 minutes. I'll be listening to our board before and call the game. So oh, I'll have a lot of laughs. There you go. See, now, now you ended it on a high note. Tom, we appreciate the time. Matt, anytime. Appreciate it.
All right, there he is, my guy, Tom Burns, Sirius XM86 and uh, or XM86, Sirius Channel 207, NBA Radio. If you don't have it, you don't get it. You should. Uh, it's all NBA talk all the time. Tom hosts the post game shows. After all the games are done late at night, Tom pops on, uh, and it's tremendous content. And he watches every game. And he joked about tonight's games or Friday night's games and everything else. But he, he's a lot of fun to listen to. And he really is an authority on the game. And he's he's very fair with his criticisms of the Pistons and also some of the, the lauding that he did of the Blake Griffins and the Thon Makers. And we'll see how this develops. We really will. And I'll be down there on Monday night uh, to check out the Pacer game and um, talk to some season ticket holders. I'm excited about that. Um, you know, it, 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 it's time, though. It, it, it's, it's time now to start seeing better play. Uh, it's just been way too up and down and inconsistent. And, you know, we talked to Ed Stefanski here on Wired a couple of weeks ago, and he even admitted he thought the team would be three, four games better than they were at that time. They've improved and played better. For all the the, the, the tank nicks out there and the people that want to see this team lose and, and everything else, uh, you know, their sights are set on the postseason. Whether they win a game in the playoffs or not, whether they, they, they get to that point, they want to turn the corner. And Tom is right. Financially structured, this organi- how this finan- uh, organization is financially structured is still a question mark until some of these contracts come off the books and until maybe Ed Stefanski and Malik Rose in that front office can make some moves. But Andre Drummond, for the money that he makes, Reggie Jackson, these guys have had success in this league. Now they've got to do it and put it together with Blake Griffin down the stretch here. Kennard's got to start making some shots. Uh, you know, Bruce Brown has to continue to develop guys like that. And we'll see this team play uh, some bonus basketball down the road. Thanks to Tom Byrne for joining me from Sirius XM NBA Radio. Thanks to you for listening. Matt Derry signing off for another week on Wired, brought to you by Jeep.